0: again we're so glad to see you this morning and as you can see the tables are set up we're going to come to the table of the Lord today and observe a very very unique and spiritual event and that's the observation of the Lord's Supper the Lord Jesus himself instituted this on the night before he was crucified he met with his disciples and uh, up to that time the disciples being of the jewish faith were their their main uh, celebration was passover and uh, there's nothing wrong with even celebrating passover today that that was a wonderful event that happened many many years ago but uh, the primary event that we celebrate since jesus came is his death and his burial and his resurrection because as Paul said uh, in his letter to the Corinthians, he said, if, if Christ is not risen from the dead, all of this other stuff we do is just in vain. It's meaningless and it's useless. If Christ did not fulfill everything that he said that he would do and that the prophets said that he would do before he came, then, uh, then there's nothing to it. But I want to tell you this morning that uh, there's a whole lot of folks here that could testify there's something real and genuine to serving the Lord Jesus, amen? And so we're going to observe this today. I want to read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we will emphasize this when we come to the table of the Lord. Paul said, for I have received from the Lord the teaching that I passed on to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took a piece of bread, gave thanks to God, broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in memory of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup and said, This cup is God's new covenant, sealed with my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in memory of me. This means that every time you eat this bread and drink from this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes Uh, Jesus encouraged us when he instituted the Lord's Supper to do this uh, again and again as a reminder of what he did for us man was lost without hope uh, floating down the streams of time just struggling between good and evil and dealing with the sins in his own life and, and um, nowhere really to look um, for, for great hope for the future until Jesus came. And boy, did he bring hope for mankind. You know, the religions of the world, if you study religions, you, you will discover that without exception, every religion with, ex, with, with the one exception of Christianity, the religions of the world all teach you that you have to strive to do something good enough to make you good enough or make you acceptable or, or uh, put you in position so that you can inherit something better in the next life. Only Christianity tells you that it's not what you do to please somebody else or God as they may project him to be. But Christianity tells us what God did for us so that we could be a part of his family and live in his eternal presence. Are you glad for Jesus today? Say amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Well, I I want to talk about the, the sufferings of our Savior because they're so vitally important to us Jesus came to this earth. He was, he, he he is God. He became the God Man. John starts his gospel by saying, "In the beginning was the Word, capitalized, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So He is not just the Son of God; He is God the Son." He is God who became flesh and dwelt among us. He left the jewel deck throne of glory and came to this sin-cursed earth so that we might have a better understanding of who God is and what God does and how God thinks and how God understands us. Jesus, God the Son, robed himself in human flesh and lived as a human being among us for 33 and a half years spent three and a half years in ministry called 12 disciples around him and taught them so that they could carry on his ministry after he was gone back to heaven but part of the purpose for which he came was not just to show us the father but was also to offer himself a sacrifice for sin you see God is a just God he is a holy God And God's justice demands that there be a payment for sin. There's a penalty for sin. Sin is wrong. Sin is rebellion against God. Sin is is an injustice that must be reckoned. And uh, God realized that you and I could never be good enough, never live good enough, never do enough good works. If you could live a thousand lifetimes, And be the best you could possibly be every time. You could never earn your salvation. You could never do enough to satisfy the justice of God for the infringement of sin upon the human family. And so God robed himself in human flesh and came and dwelt among us in the person of Jesus Christ so that he might give himself a sacrifice. He paid the debt that we owed. It started actually the communion on the night before he was crucified. He gathered with his disciples in an upper room. And he shared with them exactly what I just read to you about. And he told them, I'm, I'm about to be crucified. In fact, he left that meeting in the upper room and went out from there to a garden. And knelt beneath the old wine press in an olive garden. And prayed, agonized in prayer with his heavenly father. Part of his prayer was, Father, if, if there's any other way that salvation can be provided for mankind, then let this cup pass from me. But then he said, if there is no other way, then not my will, but your will be done. Aren't you glad that Jesus was willing to submit to the will of his heavenly father? But that prayer was agony because he knew in the flesh, listen, living among us in the flesh, he knew what pain was like. He was tempted in all points like we are, the Bible says, and yet without sin, thank the Lord, he lived that sinless life that's required to satisfy the justice of God. And, and in, in his life here among us, he dealt with tragedy. He dealt with heartache. He dealt with pain. He dealt with, he dealt with all of these things. He dealt with death. He lived in a family just like you are. He had a, he had a, a, a mother. He had an earthly uh, parent uh, that fathered him or uh, lived as a, a teacher and, and, and a father to him by the name of Joseph. And uh, and he had he had brothers and sisters. So he he knew what the family was like and. How many of you know if you've got a family, they're going to be some pain somewhere sometime? Amen. One of the benefits of being an only child. There's not many. You have to kind of capitalize on them when you have them. So um, I, I know when, uh, when my wife and I were sitting with my mom before she passed away and and uh we we were discussing the difference between a family fay comes from a pretty good sized family and i was raised basically as an only child my brother was killed when i was very small so um i, n- I never knew what it was like to have siblings and and uh, and i i shared with fay i said you know i uh, I really envy those people who have siblings that can help them in times like this. Kind of share the load, share the responsibility, and somebody you can really talk to that understands. And uh, and we talked about that. That's that's the that's the upside of those siblings. But but then I said, uh, you know, it's not too bad not to have anybody to argue with too. Or fuss about any of the decisions. You just make them, and that's it. Nobody has to. Nobody has to tell you. So, so there, But, but back to the to the life of Jesus. He knew what pain was like, and he knew what was ahead of him when he was looking towards Calvary. And so he shared with his disciples what was ahead of him and what he needed them to to do to help him. And he asked them, "Could could you tarry with me? Would you?" Pray with me during this time. And Jesus prayed as he knelt beneath the shadow of the old wine uh, uh, press. He prayed until his sweat took on a purplish hue. And like great drops of blood dropped to the ground. He was agonizing in his spirit and in his soul. And his body was uh, trembling under the pressure of what was right ahead of him. And he agonized in prayer. And finally, there was a rustle at the gate and here comes a band of people, a band of men, some with swords, some with staves, some with spears, all with lights of flaming torches and they were coming for Jesus, led by the betrayer by the name of Judas. And they took Jesus from there. Now, by the way, don't ever think for a moment that either Jews or Romans could have killed Jesus. He gave himself a sacrifice for us. In fact, when they came, Simon Peter pulled out his sword, and uh, I think he was aiming to take this guy's head off, but he cut off his ear, and fortunately Jesus healed it um, so that he didn't have to go without an ear. But uh, Simon Peter, would, uh, Jesus told him, said, put up your sword. This is, not, this is not the time for that. This is what I came for. I came for this hour. And he said, don't you realize that right now, presently, at this moment, I could beckon heaven and I would have 12 legions of angels at my disposal. In other words, there were 72,000 warring angels standing on the battlements of glory. I believe with drawn swords, ready to sweep down and clear that hillside or that, uh, that garden of any enemy of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Jesus said, no, I do this willingly. In fact, if you read through the sayings of the cross, he prayed that God would forgive them because they didn't know what they were doing. He, uh, he, he submitted himself. He gave his spirit into the hands of his heavenly father so what he did he did willfully but they went from the garden to Pilate's judgment hall and in Pilate's judgment hall they heard the trumped up charges that were leveled against Jesus none of them were true none of them had any witnesses that could verify the accusations that they were making and so Pilate was trying to figure out a way to get around Executing Jesus, and so he determined that he would be scourged. That was a, a roman beating a whipping the If you saw the passion of the Christ, you saw the the horrible beating that jesus took in pilate 's judgment hall. they took a, They took whips that had nine streamers on them, and in the end, sharp objects were tied so that it would cut the flesh when they when they beat the person and they put 39 stripes on the back of Jesus one of the Old Testament writers said that his back looked like a, a field that had been plowed like furrows that had been cut in his back his body was just cut with with slice after slice from from his neck to his hips and, and history says that some of those came around and when the soldier jerked back with a whip it ripped open the skin of his abdomen and 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 his very entrails were exposed a horrifying beating many men died under a Roman beating Jesus was very strong physically you know all of hell must have rejoiced at that point when they saw Jesus body being beaten and saw his body weakening under the pressure of that suffering and the enemy must have thought, boy, this is my day. I got victory. I'm destroying the very Son of God Himself. But I hear Isaiah the prophet saying, He was wounded for our transgressions, He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and by His stripes we are healed. Hallelujah. Anybody been? Yes, give Him praise. They took him from that beating to a mock ceremony where they declared him a king. They put a purple robe on him. And they, instead of a crown, they had the weaver to weave together thorns and, and those things, those thorn bushes, are very long. And, and they put it on his head and pressed it down. In fact, they beat it down on his head with reeds. And, and, and those thorns went into the skin And hit the scalp of the skull And came back out It's almost like they sewed it to his head And blood begins to come from there As they, they beat that, that crown of thorns on his head And then they walked by the soldiers They blindfolded him And they slapped him And then they hit him, pummeled him They took their fist And one after the other they hit him And then they mocking him said, prophesy, who hit you? And another one, and another one, and another one. Until history says that that his head began to swell in his face until it was unrecognizable. His head was perhaps twice the normal size of a man's head. After all, those soldiers had beat on him. And then they did the most humiliating thing. Every time I read through the four Gospels and I come to the part of the sufferings of Jesus, I, it, it, it's certainly not the most painful thing he endured, but it's something that just breaks my heart when I think of my lovely Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But soldier after soldier, after they've hit him and slapped him and, and beat him, they come by and just spit on him one right after the other, another and another and another. Perhaps a hundred soldiers or more come by just spitting until his face is covered with the mucus of spittle, mingled with the blood from his brow. They jerk the hair from his face, his beard, until they left nothing but a bloody stubble of a chin. And all of that saliva mixed with that blood is now drenched his face and is dripping from his face humiliating him one writer said one of the prophets said his visage was marred more than any man when they hung him on the cross if you had come by and you knew Jesus and looked at him and you didn't know that was him you would not have been able to recognize who he was his beating was that bad they took his hands and nailed him to the cross the cross members, the cross beams, before they put it on the the upright beam, now crucifixion is something that began historically with the Phoenicians. They used to take criminals out and hang them on a tree in the woods and leave them to die. They would die from starvation or thirst, and as many times their bodies were ravaged by wild beasts or the birds came and picked the flesh from the bones and And they they hung them there until there was nothing left but a skeletal, and um, and then they buried the bones. But when the Romans took over and conquered the Phoenicians, they felt like they figured out a way to make crucifixion more horrendous than the Phoenicians. They they found out a way to add to the pain and agony. If you if you notice again, if you saw the Passion of the Christ or if you've seen any pictures of the crucifixion, his his feet were bent. His knees were out. His legs were pulled up when they nailed his feet to the cross. The reason for that, instead of allowing him to stand up on the cross, his knees were bent and nailed to the cross. The reason for that, this is what the Romans had discovered. As the body gets weak, the body begins to slump down until it reaches a point where it it locks the lungs and you can't breathe. And so the only way you can get breath is to push yourself up with what strength you have left until you can get a breath of air. And you hold that position as long as you can until your body begins to weaken again and begins to slump. And you go through this again and again and again. For about three hours, Jesus went through that suffering on the cross, up and down, that old rugged cross with the splinters from that cross going into all that torn flesh of his back. He suffered. He suffered. He suffered. In fact, there's seven places from his body that he bled, and I want to run through those quickly. First of all, I mentioned from his hands. But the reason he bled from his hands was to purchase salvation for us and forgiveness for everything that we've ever done, everything that our hands have ever done that displeased God. He bled from his feet. Purchasing salvation and forgiveness for every place that we've gone that we should not have. Any place and every place that displeased God, our heavenly Father. He bled from his head. Purchasing forgiveness for us for every thought we've ever had that's displeasing to God. But also, don't forget, if you go all the way back to the beginning of the in the book of Genesis where sin first came into this world part of the curse for the sin that came on the human family was over our labor. Do you remember that? God said to Adam, because of your sin for the rest of your life, you will, you will labor and you'll make your living by the sweat of your brow. Cursed, his labor. You'll, you'll make your living by the sweat of your brow. Jesus bled from his brow, purchasing not only forgiveness for every thought we've ever had that displeased God, but also purchasing redemption from our for our labor, praise God, hey, and God wants you to work victoriously. Amen. Amen. don't live under the curse. Uh, I've I've had people come to the table of the Lord and exercise their faith concerning the forgiveness of God and the redemption of the blood of Jesus over their wor- work and their labor. And I've had people come back to me and say, "Preacher, I got a raise Nick, the week after I stood on the Word of God and believed God by faith for victory over my work." Amen. <laughs> or somebody I've I've had people tell me I got a job. I've been looking for a job. I didn't and and my labor was cursed, but I have claimed victory through the shed blood of. Jesus. Jesus Christ, over my labor. And from now on, my labor is blessed, not cursed. Amen? How many of you want your workplace blessed and not cursed? Amen. We We, listen, folks, we who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus ought to be a blessing to the place where we work. They ought to recognize something different about us because there is. He bled from his face. purchasing forgiveness for every evil word that we've ever spoken. He bled from his back. And I told you a while ago, the prophecy in Isaiah that talked about by stripes we're healed. How many of you have been healed by the precious power of Jesus? Amen. Glory to God. He bled from his side. While he was hanging on the cross, there was a soldier that took a spear and thrust it into his side. When he hit his side, Blood and water gushed out. That sack around the heart—that's that's kind of kind of gives it a little cushion. It's watery-like substance. All of that came out. He died not only from the from the wounds on his body, but with a broken heart—a heart that was broken from you for you and me. And then finally, the seventh and final place that he bled from was under his skin. He was bruised. Remember, he was bruised for our iniquity. Uh, the word iniquity there refers to any perversity, any immorality in our lives. He was bruised. When you hit your hand and you break the capillaries under the skin, the skin turns blue or black. And that's, that's bleeding underneath the skin. That's That's the bruising. And by the way, those transgressions that he uh, redeemed us from. When he bled from his side, it, it literally means rebellion against anything, any place that we've overstepped the authority of God in our lives. So we have been we have been bought with a price, the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's what we commemorate when we come to the table of the Lord. Now, the Apostle Paul, if you read on past the verses that I read to you earlier. The Apostle Paul tells us that it's very, very important when we come to the table of the Lord that we properly discern the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. What he means by that is don't just come casually and say, well, I just, and that, that, that's one thing we never want to do with coming to the table of the Lord. We, we don't ever want it to become so routine that we just kind of go through the motions and... And, and almost like we're zoned out. No, 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 no. Paul said that there's a lot of people that are sick and feeble among you because they didn't properly discern the body and the blood of Jesus. And he said some have even died prematurely. Now, that doesn't mean that they came to the table and they were cursed and they got sick and died. That's not what it means at all. What it means is there were sick people who came to the table of the Lord. If they had properly exercised their faith in what Jesus had purchased for them, they could have been healed. There's some people that died prematurely. They could have still been living. If they, if they had just come to the table and properly discerned the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to tell you this morning, there is victory in Jesus. There is victory in Jesus. If you're unsaved this morning, you can come to the table of the Lord and repent of your sins, and he'll wash all your sins away. And what I love about the power of the blood of Jesus is that, <laughs> glory to God, He doesn't cover your sins. He eradicates your sins. A lot of people live all their lives under guilt and condemnation for some sin they committed back under 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. And the devil just keeps reminding them of that sin. Sometimes family members remind them of their failures and shortcomings. Sometimes neighbors and so-called friends remind them of their failures of the past. Let me tell you something. The next time somebody accuses you of something you did back there, if you put it under the blood of Jesus, you challenge them to go before the throne of God and find it. It doesn't exist anymore. The blood of Jesus destroys it. It's gone. Glory to God. (laughs) That's why the Bible said we're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Glory to God. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. We're redeemed by His precious blood. So let's come with faith today to the table of the Lord. If you're away from God, come on home. If you're sick in body, come believe in God this morning. You could be healed. If you need victory, maybe you're addicted to some habit that you've been struggling with, there's freedom today in the Lord Jesus Christ I want us to stand together <clears throat> I'm going to ask Brother Charles Langster if he'll help us over at, the, at this table if you will please Brother Charles and Pastor Reagan Summers will help us here in the middle and, and um, Pastor George if you'll help us over here please let me give you a few instructions logistically and then we will We will prepare to receive the table of the Lord. Pastor Tony is going to help us by uh, serving the platform and the sound booth back there, technical people. Those of you on my extreme right on this side, on the ground floor and in the balcony, you'll come to this table here. What we'd like for you to do is begin with the back row. Just go... Go out that way. Go to the far row and come down. When you get to the table, you can go on either side and uh, and then back up this aisles. Those of you in the balcony, if you'll just follow them as soon as these on the floor have finished, just come right in behind them and go that way and back up into uh, your seats. Same thing on the left side over here. You go beginning at the back. Go to the outside aisle and down the aisle and back up here. And then the balcony, follow. Those of you in the two center sections, beginning from the back, if you'll come to the center aisle, please. Those of you on this side, if you'll come to the table here, I'll serve you. If you'll come to the table here, Pastor Reagan will serve you. And then back up these aisles. That way we're not bumping into each other when, uh, when we get to uh, the aisles. It will help the flow of traffic here. Um, now, let me say this about communion our communion is what we call open communion. That means you don't have to be a member of this church to receive communion. If you'd like to come today, we invite you to come. You're welcome to come. If for any reason you feel uncomfortable to come, you choose not to. That's fine. Um, just just let the people be excused around you. That That's fine. We, no pressure on anybody for anything here. But I do want to say this. As you come today, please come in faith, believing God, believing God. What, what I like for you to do is come and take the elements and hold them. Please don't take them until everybody have, has been served. And I'll come back to the platform, and we will receive the communion together. We'll partake of the elements together. The ushers will help us in the back. The, the uh, tables are open. Uh, if you'll begin on that side, that side to the outside aisles. Though in the center, come on to the center. And we will meet you at the table. God bless you as you come.